What's up, disciples? Welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. I'm Zach Zinder, and in a moment, I'll be joined by my co-host, Chris Johnson, and we have a mission here at Red Letter Disciple to challenge you to be a greater disciple of Jesus, because we really believe that you have greatness inside of you, and the world needs to see that greatness so they can meet Jesus. We, the world needs a better, truer, fresher, greater expression of Jesus, and we can be that. And so let's do that together. Hey, I'm really excited about today's episode. We've got an incredible guest. His name is Patrick O'Connell, the global director of an organization called New Thing, which helps catalyze church movements across the world. Patrick will not only talk about what it looks like to be a disciple in America, but also what we can learn from discipleship overseas. And also, like, how do we change the scorecard for, for what it really means to be a disciple? and live out our lives as a follower of Jesus today. Super helpful conversation. Today's episode is sponsored by Red Letter Living. We create resources that challenge people to grow as disciples wherever they are. So this podcast is one of those resources. But how do you really know if you're following Jesus well? You know, we talk a lot about the scorecard when it comes to Patrick O'Connell, and and we really believe that we can be a help in that. We've created a thing called the Red Letter Challenge Assessment. It's a 40-question takes about seven to 10 minutes. But as you ask, uh, answer these questions, what you're going to find is it'll score you according to the five discipleship targets we believe come out of the mouth of Jesus the most often. Be, forgive, serve, give, go. It'll not only rank you in those, but it'll give you next steps and even challenges to complete to become stronger in those five targets. Because if we're going to change the scorecard, let's at least know what targets we're aiming for. So you can check that out at redletterassessment.com. Again, it's a totally free assessment. It takes about seven to 10 minutes, and we believe it's really going to be helpful in your journey to be a greater disciple. So if you like our podcast, if it's doing what we say it's going to do, challenging you or even helping you to be a greater disciple, we'd love for you to throw five stars at us and rate and review on whatever platform you're listening or watching. That means the world to us. Uh, subscribe and follow as well so that we can keep bringing more of this content to you. I know Chris and I, we love to do it, but we also like, yeah, we kind of need you to help us do this more. Anyway, all that said, we got a great episode with Patrick O'Connell. Let's do this. All righty. We got a great episode today. We got a good friend of mine, Patrick O'Connell, joining us on the podcast. Patrick is the director of New Thing. So excited to talk about New Thing, which Mm -hmm. has got a mission to catalyze movements of reproducing churches all over the world. Catalyze sounds like like a science experiment. (laughs) But they're doing it. They're doing it all over the world. So Patrick has graduated college, had a stint in the army, and then went into the corporate world. Mm. And then in 2007, decided to move with a team of people to Kansas City to do church planting. Mm. And now he really helps church planters and create movements. He's become a student of church planting. So excited to have him on. He's married to Nancy, has three awesome kids. Patrick O'Connell, welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. Thanks, guys. Great to be with you. And thanks for having me. That would have been a real shame if you had two awesome kids and one that was kind of not <laughs> no, great. Like, I have three cool kids and a new grandson that is really awesome. <laughs> oh, congratulations. That is cool because yeah. you can give them back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that your first grand grandchild? Yep. Yeah, we it's, it's changed the game. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and, and is it true what they say that, I mean, the reason you have yeah. kids is so that one day you, you would have grandkids? Are yeah. you finding that to be truth? 
totally true. You said it. Don't tell my kids. <laughs> I found that to be true. Now <laughs> you're not a grandfather, yeah. <laughs> but from the kids' side, oh. once I had grandkids, it's like you know, I'm I'm whatever, and then my grand grand boys. Nathan and Brady. Are, oh, are yeah, awesome. they're the golden so, children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. So. I got you. So you're uh, 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 catalyzed. I don't hear that used like a, a verb like you use. Like you're the director of catalyzing. Uh, you're catalyzing. Cataclysm. Cataclysm. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Expound upon that. What's that mean? Yeah, it's really trying to embrace this idea, this notion that the church is a movement. And it started as a movement, and it's best when it is a movement. Um, and there has been some degree of institutionalization, calcification that has taken place in the church over the course of the last five, six hundred years. That's a sweet you know, way to say it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and what we try to do is we try to help everyday, ordinary disciples of Jesus kind of figure out that they can do it, that we come alongside them. But it's really, really leaning into this Acts 1-8 notion that, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And uh, I get stoked about movement. I want to see the church embrace that. So if Patrick comes to your church and says, you're pretty calcified, that's that, <laughs> that's, that's a tough one. You're, you're probably arguing over the color of the rugs. And that what I say is like, let's try this. Everybody read Acts 1-8 again, okay? <laughs> you're filled. All right, we're going to get to more of how we uh, we get out of the calcification. <laughs> uh, but first, Patrick, hey, man, walk me through your journey. I mentioned Army, corporate world, Kansas City church planting, now director of New Thing. Like, yeah, how'd you get to where you are today? And I'm sure at the beginning of that process, you thought, I'm going to do all these steps so I can be a great <laughs> church planter. Yeah, right. Yeah. Not even close. No, uh -huh. I'm proof that God has a sense of humor. And I'm double <laughs> proof that God uh, can use anyone for his perfect plan in the world. I mean, so true. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm from Chicagoland. My parents divorced when I was young, and uh, we have a Catholic background. And once my parents divorced, that was the end of anything for me to do with Jesus. Mm. And in fact, and I'm not, I'm just not being you know, dramatic about it. I didn't know anybody following Jesus when I was growing up. Um, just wasn't part of the vernacular uh, for me. And, and so that led to basically me trying to find my path in life. Um, I wanted to be an educator and uh, got to teach in some, some really cool locations, got to do some fun stuff. But once I got out of the army and was, um, you know, had a kid, <laughs> it was time to get my career on. Um, and I had this weird set of circumstances that got me into uh, the investment world. So here's a kid from the burbs of, of, of Chicago uh, working with millionaires and billionaires um, on, on, on their investments. And so, but I, I didn't have any relationship with Jesus. And and so, did you think to yourself during that time, like, what am I doing working with millionaires and billionaires? Like, like not saying that you felt like a phony, but sometimes I felt like a phony, like in previous, and they're coming to you wanting to know this advice. And you're like, yeah. Oh yeah. It's a total, total imposter syndrome. Uh huh. Um, but it's funny because now that, and we can talk about this later if you're interested, but um, I, I look over my shoulder now and I see so much that came out of that 10 years. Mm. I see I've built on so many of the things that I've learned in that 10 years. But no, there was there was really no no life with Jesus until my early 30s. Okay. And then um, just came into a time of personal, my bleakest season, personally, my my season of great despair. Um, and that's where God got a hold of my life. Uh, and that that church happened to be Community Christian Church, where Dave Ferguson is the lead pastor. 
And uh, that set off a whole other chain reaction of events that, that God had in mind that I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of him. So what, yeah. <laughs> awesome, good friend. What, what, what was it at age, you said, I think 33, that all of a sudden, like this, this started to become a thing for you? Yeah, I think, you know, even at Chris's point, I was following a scorecard that had been given to me. I was pursuing a dream that really was, you know, get the white house and the picket fence and all that in the burbs. And once you get that, you're like, man, yeah, this is, there's really not much here, is there? Um, And that really made me a bit, it pissed me off a bit, made me a little angry. Um, I wasn't, I was kind of a crappy dad uh, to my kids. I was a crappy husband. I wasn't emotionally available for them. I was just going through my own funk. And uh, I had always been a fan of Jesus. I really had. I, I was the kid who took religious studies and philosophy in college, right? That's me. But um, I just didn't see that in the church. I didn't see Jesus and the church. And I'm like, wow, there's a massive, there's a massive difference here. And then just by by a whole bunch of relational, um, relational sequences that I can't put my finger on, uh, we found our way into church. Um, and the story there is my wife went first and brought our kids for three years without me. Wow. Three years. I wouldn't even let her talk about what she was listening to. Oh. I wouldn't let her talk about, I was that guy. Mm. So that's the great irony of my life. <laughs> yeah. I think that's encouraging though, because I know we have a lot of listeners uh, who are, yeah, wives who are married and their husbands, uh, yeah. who may be the dad of some kids just aren't a part of church yet. And mm-hmm. A lot of these women were, were praying <laughs> that the husbands do come along. And so I, I love that it, it, it was three years, but it happened and God answered those prayers for you and your, your family. So I have a quick question. What was it that finally you said, OK, after, after three, three years, years, this was the motivating <laughs> catalyst for you to get back into church? What was it? Twofold, I think. Number one is, I you know, I think we all come to that personal place that I, I say it, it, I came to the end of my rope. Mm. I, I was out. I was out of answers. It was a, it was a season of deep, deep despair for me personally. Mm. Second though, was I had, I had maybe uh, to transition disciples. I didn't have the language for that right now. I, then sure. I didn't have the, I didn't have the understanding I have now, but I had women and men, everyday, ordinary people who showed me the love of Jesus. Mm. And I, again, I didn't, I wasn't looking for it. Right. It's just who they are. And then I, I believe now, and I've got all the theological degrees and all that now, but I understand that that's the the Holy Spirit working in and through them into my life. Cool. Uh, and that was a game changer. So personal despair and relationships with people that were actually trying to figure out what it looked like to be on mission with Jesus in life. So would you say that basically you ran out of, if I'm hearing you correctly, you basically ran out of different options and you're like, heck, I might as well try this. Like, it, they seem to be good people. I'll give it a shot. What else do I have to lose? Like, it was the embodiment. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was the embodiment of what I understood about Jesus. Like, when you're in despair, when you're looking for answers in life, when you have nothing, you know, when you're just, like, in a free fall in life, should I make more money? Should I go to that career? Should I get divorced? Should I get me, like, when you're in that sequence of life, you're looking for answers. And I think that's so much of what we got to be reminded of. People are looking for answers. They might not articulate in that way. And when I, when I, I, I thought, Hey, Jesus could be really cool. 
frankly, Jesus could be really cool for the world if it weren't for Christians. And I love you guys now. I am one of you. (laughs) But, but, um, but, but when I, when I encountered everyday ordinary women and men who were just trying to be followers of Jesus, who basically said, follow me as I follow Jesus, Uh that uh, God worked. God worked in my life. That's cool. There are two things or two other things I'll add real quick, Mm -hmm. because I think when we start following Jesus, it's steps of obedience. So at community where Dave is pastor still, there are a couple of things that you hear loud and clear. Number one is get into community, get into a small group with others and start doing life with others. Don't just come on Sundays. Right. Um, So that was number one. And then two was make a decision to be baptized, Mm. a personal decision to be baptized and literally the night that i was baptized um my small group leader because i did what i was told my small group leader asked me to be his apprentice small group leader i was literally wet and said hey i see in you some leadership potential you should lead a small group with me and that set off this whole journey on on leadership that led to church planting and led to even what i'm doing today you could have let at least let you towel off that's like (laughs) that seems wrong like, that's know. great. So we're always asking for apprentices at community. <laughs> no time like the present. I just put on a new shirt. <laughs> and, and your story is a big reason why this podcast exists, because we want to change the narrative and change the story. And when people are in a place mm-hmm. of despair, no matter how they got there, even if they can't really answer what's wrong, what it takes are faithful, committed, Jesus-following people to show up in their lives. And sometimes it's, it takes years. And so I I think that's really cool and hopefully encouraging to those who are walking alongside someone who hasn't quite gotten it yet is don't give up, keep being that person. And at the right time, God's going to move in that person's life. And I I actually like collectively believe, and and I I, I want your opinion on this because this may be a subjective hunch Mm. of mine, but I, I feel like with everything that's happened the last few years, when I've sort of traveled around a little bit more in this particular year, 2023, and visited churches or conferences, it, it feels like there's a little bit, it feels like there's a lot more like hunger. I, I think there are more people that are recognizing that the top of the ladder for, for your, your sake or whatever it might be, it isn't quite what it was cracked up to be. And there's now this hunger. And I really believe we're in an opportune time. Uh, to come to come alongside of that and say, here's what it's all about. W- what are your thoughts as you travel around? I know you do that a lot. You, you work overseas and we'll get into some of your work there too. Like, is there a hunger that that you're seeing now that maybe wasn't, didn't exist a couple of years ago? Yeah, I think, well, you know, your, your assessment is exactly right. Um, and Zach, I, that's why I love just the whole, the whole, the whole thesis of red letter, you know, focusing on Jesus um, and what I think uh, is true is in this post-Christian, post-modern, post-COVID, post-world, whatever we look at, where truth is relative, right? That's the larger, that's the larger ethos of the culture, right? Mm-hmm. It's what uh, my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. And I see people, and the problem is, is there's, there's competing sources of truth. So you can't say everybody needs truth. You need truth to wake up every day and do life. And I think what I see, and I, I hope and believe it's it's a move of the Lord, it's a move of the Holy Spirit, is I see a, a generation who are who are open to following, uh, but they want to do it in an authentic and, and, and honest way uh, about Jesus. 
they don't want their parents' version, and I mean that respectfully. Sure. Uh, they don't want their parents' version of church. They don't want to be. I had a I had a, a a global friend of mine say last week. He said we were talking about American discipleship, and he said, you know, it seems to me as your friend, you all in America use discipleship, but you don't use it in a biblical sense. You don't use it in the way where you're asking people to follow and give everything to being a disciple. You know, and so I think to your point, Zach, I'm circling around it. There is absolutely a hunger because that's as old as humanity. Nothing's changed in that sense. You know, Augustine says that 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 hole in our in our in our spirits is always there. And I do think there is a hunger, but it's not going to be church as we know it in, in that in that sense. We can go into that, but that's my immediate response to your insight. That's good. Well, that, that, I mean, come on. You can't leave that hanging there. You basically just said, it's not going to be like it, but I'll tell you. What is it going to look like? Tell us. Yeah. Um, you know, this is where I think movement. I think we have to recapture the ethos, the, the essence that we are part of a movement, that we stand on the shoulders of women and men who have gone before us. We're here in such a time as this. And we will see the movement into the future. And uh, therefore, the, the analogy or the, the metaphor that I use is we need to be more about kingdom than we need to be about castles. And particularly in the West, we're, we're just great castle builders. We just build, you know, we have marquees on our castle. We have turrets with flags. We have social media going across our castles. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? The castles aren't bad, but the castles belong to the king. And I think you have a, a you have an awakening that, and this is where I get excited because collaboration and globalization are on the rise in the church, um, and 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 I think a new day is upon us in those opportunities. So I want to see the church capture and, and embrace, I should say, its movemental uh, kind of historical postures. I think we'll be both we'll see we'll see God do amazing amazing things. Awesome. So give me a few from your from your vantage point then ideas or ways mm. and take this either collectively as a church or personally individually we can move from kingdoms uh we can move from castles and think kingdoms yeah um because I I mean, i'm trying to build a castle right now i just planted, well, <laughs> just planted a church just, just make sure it's it belongs to the king i know and you know, my castle is in a, in a high school gym right now yeah. so it doesn't yeah. look very castle-y. i did yeah. think the throne room chair you have on stage is just interesting yeah, yeah. Whatever. Let me, <laughs> yeah let's talk about that chris oh, never. <laughs> let me just speak to let me answer the questions about church leaders if i may um, you know, I spend my life working al alongside and with leaders of churches, church planters, denominational leaders, etc. And I'm grateful for them. But I think one of the first things we just have to realize is the score. There's two things. Number one is that the scorecard we have inherited mm -hmm. is. I know where he's going. <laughs> maybe the wrong scorecard. Right. Right. So church growth. I'm not opposed to church growth. I think God, you know, God can do all things. But if you think about your own schedule, you know, just as, as a church leader, my guess is if you're like most of us, you're going to spend 80 to 90 percent of your schedule this week working on castles, mm -hmm. building castles, right? It's great. So what would it look like to start making more time for kingdom? Mm. Um, so I think it's a scorecard issue. Um, and then I would say that um, the, the second issue is this idea 
of stewardship. And, and we've got to, if we're church leaders, I think we got to really wrestle. And this is a, this is deeply personal, right? Cause if you got to, I'm, you're going to mess with my scorecard. Now you're going to tell me everything I'm doing is wrong. No, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that if your scorecard is not a kingdom scorecard, maybe you got to align your scorecard with the kingdom scorecard. Uh, and then secondly is you've got to take the burden off your shoulders of doing it all. You're a steward. You are inheriting all the things, the resources, the, 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 the buildings, the, the people, the teams, you're stewarding them for such a time as this. And then you're going to plant that into the next generation. And I think if you're a leader, I mean, man, if I, I want to have a generational impact, mm-hmm. I want to just, because, you know, if, you guys, are, you know where I'm going with this, right? So scorecard and stewardship, I think, are two interesting ideas for me these days as we're wrestling with wrestling this out with leaders of churches. Patrick, I would like to talk to you every Monday because this is <laughs> I don't know what you charge per minute, but this is fantastic. No, no. Uh, so here's the thing, though. But people are so used, like, yeah. for instance, I planted a church six weeks ago, right? Yeah. The number one thing I get text on Monday, how was Sunday? How many people did you have? You know, and like I have to flip that script a little bit and say, okay, you know, we might have had a hundred, but the thing that is the win for me is that we had like 20% of the people that were there had never experienced church with Jesus. Like that is the win. So for me, it's like so easy to get ground down being in the church for 20 years. If you don't have 400 people on a weekend, like what are you doing wrong? You know, and, and it's discouraging. I think that's why a lot of pastors get burned out too. You're, you're exactly right. So we, we sometimes say, well, they couldn't handle it. Or they couldn't do it. Or they're right. not, you know, we here, read more leadership books, go yeah. do that, you know, like, right. Even barely wait, wait, wait. Maybe it's the system that's flawed. Maybe, maybe we have a systematic issue here where we are crushing literally spiritually, emotionally, sometimes physically crushing leaders who want, who really look, most leaders I know didn't get into the game to lead budgets and lead teams and study books on leadership. They love Jesus. They're following Jesus. They want others to come along. So to your point, to your point, let's at least admit that the scorecard needs to be tweaked. Yes. Let's at least admit that sometimes, and you, you asked a very good, good question. This is so deeply baked in our paradigm. Right. It's so deeply baked into who we are and what we do and how we expend resources and our time. Yes. But we've got to get some space to start negotiating this with one another. Now, if that happens in a denomination, if that happens in a church, I'm all for it. Right. But there's got to be some place to say, are we actually winning at the end of the day? If, well, if what is winning? People come to church, right. You know? What is winning now in 2023? That's right. That's right. Like, That's right. Is it participation in small groups? Is it discipleship? Is it like, I mean, the scorecard, like you said, it feels confusing as a, uh, a new church plant. Like, what is the win? I think it is discipleship. And I know you guys are passionate about that, but that's what I think it is. I think that's what we've all realized where we haven't made disciples. So, have- Patrick, how, yeah, how would how would you measure discipleship then? What, what would a scorecard look like for you that's tweaked? Uh, like, if you can, I would say yeah. if you can walk on water. <laughs> it feels like it's pretty successful maybe it's easier if you could just turn up tables right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, my final exam for my disciples is i take, <laughs> I take them to a park and i give them a couple loaves of, of bread and some fish and say good luck and i say feed everybody 
Is that no, the wrong path? <laughs> no, I think I think it's funny. I, I was able to teach at one of our community locations this weekend. Um, what what do we need to, to see more disciples? I think we need to understand that the discipleship is relational, not just cognitive. Mm-hmm. A lot of American built discipleship programs are teach me more, fill my head more. Yeah. Um, and that's fine, but we don't actually we don't actually live all that out. Um, and then I think um, a dependence on God, which is a deeply, um, it's a, that's the move of the spirit, right? Where I begin to open up my, my life and my hands, my resources, my time, and I start giving it over to, no, Jesus, this is all yours. This is not mine. This is not, you know, and I, I think the way, when we talk about a disciple at, um, at community, we say simply hear from God and go do what he says. <laughs> Like and it's not very sophisticated, is it? Um, yeah. I, I like I like the I like the the other the other kind of uh, image for this for me. The one that's helpful for me is follow me as I follow Jesus. Yeah, that's that it, it's that simple. You know, it's that simple for me. I know that's complex, but it's simple in its in its messaging. Yeah, I think that's that's so good, and and I I really do think that that's the going back to the basics, and that's what I say often is the best way to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus. We don't need a new plan. We don't need we don't need to be thinking about how do we disciple people. Uh, the question I'm trying to point people back to the simple question to start it all on our discipleship path: Are, are you committed to following Jesus? He yeah. told us what to do. It's yeah. in his red letters. Just do yeah. it. So I love the <laughs> the simplicity of the well, language. Even if I may, if any, if I may use Chris's um, yeah. example of church plans, please do. This will be spending time with these, these, uh, these, young, these young people. You are discipling them. Yeah. And and uh, no disrespect, but yeah. you're discipling them, and then the paradigm is get them to a to a church. Right. And you're already a church. You know that. Right. right. You're already discipling these. So what does it look like for you to 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 linger in that tension? So, you know, where Sunday still is the worship moment, right. it still is the collect moment. Right. That's actually not where worship. church is, right? right. Church right. is out there. <laughs> so, but the, but the interesting thing, you mentioned something earlier, and I was just thinking about this because as a church planner, I wake up every morning at three in the morning and I because <laughs> I'm constantly hammered with the doubts of my own mind. Uh, that's a very candid moment in truth. Yes. Uh, yes. But uh, so I was saying to my team, my core group team, like Sunday is where we come and mm. we experience. It's mm. the only place left on earth where we can experience the gift of God. Mm. Like you can't go to the golf course and experience the gifts of God. You, we come uh. here, but oh, shush, we come here because, you know, God forgives us in, in communion. We experience baptism. It's like a literal gift, right? But discipleship doesn't really happen in Sunday morning. So we create small groups where we can build authentic relationships with one another. But here's the challenge. Like 20% of my church is brand new believers. Mm-hmm. And now I'm telling them, not only do you, should you come on Sunday, you should come in the middle of the week because that's where discipleship happens. And they're like, bro, I barely can make it to Sunday. Like, and that's the challenge, man. So like, I don't know what you make on that. You make it, um, no, I, I think you're 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 identifying. When I was in the military, the first the first rule is situational awareness. Know what's around. Know what's happening around you. Yeah, I think this is the challenge that we find ourselves in sometimes in North America. And I'm a North American leader, right? But I get right. to hang out with a lot of global leaders. Mm-hmm. We have turned 
discipleship by and large, not everyone, but into a transaction. Ah. And it's a relationship. Mm. And relationships can happen on Sunday, but they also happen a lot other places. Right. And can somebody be a follower of Jesus and never attend a, a Sunday gathering? Mm. I, sure. I don't, you know, I, I would argue that, no, they should attend a Sunday gathering as well to celebrate with the body, to, to be present with the spirit in the congregation, like all those things that we love about Sunday. It's harder. but it's, Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, you know, but, but it's way beyond just the transaction mm. of showing up to a building and doing the thing that we call church. I'm, I'm not opposed to that, but it's much more than that. Right. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that dependence on God is a huge piece of discipleship. And so part of your story, again, we go back to when you were 33, you got connected at community, you got baptized. And before the towel was on, you were, (laughs) I I like that. That's a genius because you're all pumped up. You're like, what am I going to do next? Well, I think that sometimes that's where we miss out is in the discipleship experience. When we don't call up, invite, challenge other people to step into what Jesus wants for them, I think we miss out on opportunities. And sometimes it's not because they don't want to, it's because they don't have been asked. And so you were, you stepped up into that. And then not long after your heart was stirring even more to depend on God even more. And then it meant leaving the corporate world and going to Kansas city to plant a church. And so I'd love to go back to that moment of like taking, and again, this isn't for everybody that you need to leave the business world and go to church planting by any means, but for you, that was right. Right. So I'd love for you, you to kind of unpack what it, how did, how did you know that was the next step in your journey? And part two to that question, <laughs> after we baptize somebody, should we ask them to be a part of the toughest jobs to get people to sign up for? <laughs> and then we say, next week, can you do parking? That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, I love the spirit of the question. Um, we have a tool that we've used that new thing for years, and we call it the I see in you conversation. And it's this idea that God's going to use me to see help you see something about yourself that you can't see. Mm. So here I am, you know, 32, 33, really out of answers when it comes to my own personal life, have some military background and a corporate background. And the idea that I could lead a small group was like, that that didn't exist in my paradigm, Mm -hmm. right? So what the I see in you conversation is, I see in you, Zach, the potential for leadership or to apprentice with me as a small group leader or to serve in the kids ministry or to be on the worship league. So your point of invitation, because people don't have language and license. And it's, by the way, it's not, I see in you to serve in my program. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Hey, I see in you, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the groundskeeper uh, ministry really needs your help. Like maybe it is that, maybe yeah. it is that. Yeah. But you, I'm talking about you're here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You might think of carpet. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, <laughs> at, at community, we've used this idea of apprenticeship. So there's discipleship and apprenticeship. Apprenticeship is like, I'm going to be an electrician. You're an electrician. I'm going to dis- I'm going to apprentice with you. You're going to teach me how to be an electrician. And I'm going to go out and be an electrician. That's awesome. That's what we need to do for like roles in the church. But the ICNU conversation was the thing that changed my life. And I, I'm not trying to be like, not just that moment, because then it began to, it, it, it incentivized, it, it incented me to think about, okay, God, what else do you actually want to do in my life? And how else are you calling me to be, be dependent? And Zach, you use the word invitation, invitation, because that's what Jesus did. 
He literally, that's all he did was invite, 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 and follow me. Invite and follow me. He literally asked, he said, yeah, give up everything and all that stuff. But it was invitation. And I'd love us to get better at not just inviting people to serve in the kids' ministry. That's awesome. But, sir, the, but it, hey, let's go on a journey together about what it looks like for me to follow Jesus and me to help you follow Jesus. What does that look like practically, though? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you say, follow me, right? Yeah. But then at some point, there's got to be, like, some ideas or concrete steps of this discipleship process. And a lot of different churches have a lot of different ideas of what that looks like. Yeah. I think uh, it's it's great point, Chris. And I think this is where we get – it's helpful to clarify terms. That's why I like the difference between discipleship, which is life, follow the, the, the spiritual life that has no transactional outcome. Right. And the apprenticeship that that as a church, as a church leader, as a church leadership team, hey, we would love people to serve more in the church and all that good. Stuff. And that's a good thing. One of the first things I did is serve in the church. Hmm. I, you know, we call them the three C's connect with God, connect with others through serving and connect with the world through being generous. But there is, hey. I like Zach and Chris. They're hanging out. They got a fire pit on the driveway and they bring a bunch of guys around. And they sit and they talk about what it, what it looks like to maybe, you know, how hard it is to follow Jesus someday. Yeah. So just that kind of stuff. Discipleship is not a destination. Yeah. It's a journey. Mm. It, there's no, there's no, you're a disciple and you're not. I, I'm a very good disciple some days. Other days I suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. Like I do. <laughs> so i hope i'm answering your question no that's great and and so if i hear you correctly what you're saying is essentially discipleship is building an authentic relationship with someone where you can share your deepest most honest conversations and you trust that person they trust you and you're walking together when they fall down you're picking them up you're encouraging you're inviting to repent yep. And, yep. and 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 also knowing that that person that you're discipling or walking with is ultimately at some point going to let you down. Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. they're not God. You're not yeah. God. I'm not yeah. God. Zach's not God. And, and, and being in a good enough relationship where you can kind of walk through that and work through it together. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it, and that that's kingdom life. So, you know, Jesus prays for this, right. And he, and, and a church is just the outpost of the kingdom. So what we're doing when we invite people in discipleship, we're inviting them into the kingdom life. Mm. And the kingdom life is very different than the corporate life. It's yeah. fra and frankly very different than the church life. The kingdom life is very different. And so as I step into the kingdom life, going with others, and this is again, my reading of the way that Jesus does it, is that we do this together and with the guidance and the power and dependent on God. Um, and so those are, and I know there's a lot of practice, like, does that mean I get some coffee with somebody? What if I don't like right. them? Like, those things need to be worked out contextually, of course. Right. But the idea that you're driving at, Chris, I just wanted to celebrate. Well, and, and I think that, I'm sorry to take all your time, Zach. Uh, <laughs> you guys are, I mean, I, but, we, don't, we don't have an allotted amount. Yeah. But I, I exactly. Think that, Who gets the most talking time? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's interesting. Like, I work with another pastor who is task-oriented, and I'm people-oriented. Like, I will spend all my time with people. And we've had conversations where he's like, you're spending way too much time with that person, you know, because he's checking the boxes. Like, I'm going to do this. And so, like, when he hears, and I think there's a lot of pastors who are task-oriented. Oriented. So my point being, when somebody hears something like this, I can almost hear like a hundred pastors saying, just tell me what to do, how to do it. And, and they don't get it, you know, and it's not because they're dopes or anything. It's just no. because they are task oriented as opposed mm -hmm. to being like more people oriented. Yep. 
Yeah, and and that's you know just uh, the quick hit at new thing. We have you ask what what a catalyst means. We've developed what we call the movement system, mm. and one of those catalysts is a discipleship catalyst okay. where we come alongside church leadership teams and help them deeply think through what does it mean for them to be catalysts for discipleship in their church and their environment and their context. So those are all real questions, though, brother. Yeah, That's thank good. you. So you go to Kansas City. You yeah. start a church. Your 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 journey, your discipleship journey is continuing. You're taking a few people with you to do this. Yeah, walk me through how how that was for you. Was it? And you mentioned earlier that you'd be happy to talk through. And I'd, I'd love maybe now to be the time. What what did the corporate world kind of do? Help or hurt in that in that time frame for you? Yeah. So the quick story there is. We moved from Kansas City. Now, this is what community has done. So we community has been a church planting church. That helps. Yeah. We were part of New Thing. New Thing grew out of this idea that we were just going to be networks of friends on mission uh, who were helping each other plant more churches. We're non-denominational. Um, but we moved to, Ca- to Kansas City uh, to be part of changing the spiritual landscape of Kansas City. I know that sounds very dreamy uh, and kingdom but it's true. We did not go there believing that we were going to do everything. We went there believing that God was already doing great things there and that we were going to come alongside. And what emerged out of that was this notion, and it's what we do at New Thing, is how do we flip the script and make mission the bishop of our city? So if you're a Lutheran church, if you're a Baptist church, if you're a non-denominational church and you're in Omaha, how many churches does God see in Omaha? One, one. And so that's the spirit of what we went to Kansas City to do, right? To be a part of what God's doing, to be part of the great tapestry of the kingdom of God, but different and in unity at the same time. Hmm. And so what set my imagination on fire was this idea that we could reproduce churches and we can plant new churches because church planting is the best way to help new people find their way back to God. There's been lots of studies on it. Most, most people are finding their way back to God at new churches. After about five years, that starts to change. Not saying that a church of 50 years is bad. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that's why church planting is so important. We've got to keep the blood flowing. Yeah. got to keep the blood flowing. That what's, was all wrapped up in Kansas City. What's the reasons that you believe are behind that? Because well, I totally agree, and I've seen I, the statistic or the the numbers that say church planting, opening campuses, that's, that's the way to go. So what right. are the, well, and even Andy Stanley marks. says, you got to be new, improved, improving like yep. that's, right. you got to do that. And, but I, I never understood like, what's the reasoning behind that? Yeah, Mission gives life. So oh. the the bottom line is, is we are missional people. Mm. Um, we are a movement. We are not, you know, the end game is not, I love Lutherans, right? The end game is not to be a Lutheran. Right. It's not the end game. Clearly. The game is Jesus. That no. <laughs> uh, so if I hear you correctly, every five years, you should just close your old church down. No, no. What I'm saying is you should plant churches. Yeah. So right. that's what we do is we try to collect that, that we collectivize that, that, that initiative. It's hard for churches to plant churches. We can get into that if you want. Mm. But that's what we're trying to do at New Thing is we say mission gives life. How do you keep blood flowing through the system? You raise up leaders and you send them out. You, you, you gather to scatter. That's the whole game. Like, let's make sure we all understand that that's the game. And so that's why new churches have a kind of a missional edge, like a little bit of more teeth at the edge. It's, it's guys like Chris going into the places where people who will never show up at a church are and saying, hey, 
you know, Jesus, you know, I'm not saying he does it that way, but that's right. basically what he's doing. Here's my life. Mm -hmm. Here's myself. Here's my time. That's going to engage people versus, hey, you know what you should do? Come and hear my great pastor preach on, you know, John 10. Yeah. All good. But that's that's not working. And it, it's, it's actually actually never worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's right. And, am I being fair? I'm not being too harsh, am I? No, no. No. You're, no. <laughs> it's the reality we're in. You yes. Know, even pre-COVID, which everybody mm -hmm. wants to now blame COVID. But right. Like it was... It was hurting before. COVID. Yeah, you look at the average number uh, per work, you know, for a church, and it was like 130. COVID yeah. just gave people an excuse to stay home, <laughs> yeah. right? A justified excuse. Yeah, but it it had been cut in half, right, from 2000 to mm -hmm. 2020, right, and and so it was already reeling, and we have to we have to do something different. We had to change. Well, and I think I think you guys brought it up. I've got three kids; they're all in their 20s now, and. Um, they are church planning. We're a church planning family. You know, as soon as I found my way back to God, it's like, hey, this is what we believe. This is what we do. We're going to do this. Yeah. Um, they're looking for more authentic relationship with Jesus. I think, you know, all the stuff that we've been through, not only in our country, but across the world in the last four or five years, what the 20 somethings, if I, and I just know them because they live in my house, or one of them does, <laughs> um, is. Dad, I, I think I still I'm, I'm on I'm, I'm on team Jesus, but I really struggle with the with the church. I really I struggle with what we're doing. I, I struggle with this all the stuff. Yeah. And I'll let you guys you guys talk about that in another day. But um, I think if we can just get back to I'm not saying the local church isn't the essential ecclesiological format. It is. However, Jesus said, go make disciples, mm -hmm. not plant churches. Right. And that's if we can just make sure we've got those two things in tandem and tension, we're going to be better off. Yeah. And I think as we plant churches, that gives opportunity for more disciple making opportunities to come. And that's where they they connect. And, and so you planted in Kansas City. God did a beautiful thing. And now you're the global director of mm. New Thing. That feels which, big. That yeah, feels really big. That's bigger than Kansas right. City. <laughs> So, yeah, walk me through. So now New Thing is helping, like we said earlier, to catalyze to, to really get behind and support new church movements, uh, new church plants. Uh, so so walk me through what, what your role looks like and what you're seeing in the context of the globe when it comes to uh, either church planting and discipleship. Yeah. Um, number one is I look at myself. I'm, first of all, a student of the global church and of movement. So I have not arrived by any standard, right? <laughs> Secondly is I would contend that, um, especially for your North American audience, we need friends in the global church that we can learn from and pray with and journey with. Uh, I like to say it's the round table of mission. And even if you're a church leader and, uh, you know, you're leading a church in Miami or Omaha, you need to make sure you've got some of the Ugandan church with you. Not literally, but like that whole idea that this is a global movement. Yeah. Right. And so what new thing does is we try to be that space where where churches I, I hope we do two things very, very well. Number one is uh, we help them reproduce at every level because mission gives life. And then secondly, we help them collaborate with other churches in the spirit where mission is the bishop and not just your castle or your denomination. No offense to any of those things. Right. Again, they're part of it. Mm -hmm. But if I'm in if I'm in Chicago where I live, our new thing movement will meet. It's made up of about 50 churches, very diverse, 
Baptist, Lutherans, Pentecostal, you know, historic black, and we come together to make make our city better uh, through 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 church planting. Um, and and the, the word that comes to mind that we are using a lot these days is flourishing. And so when it comes to the work at New Thing and my work, Zach, is we go around the world finding women and men. We call them persons of peace. They generally have an apostolic gift and they are ready to kind of get after this kind of work. They are leading churches. They're part of denominations. They might not be part of it, but they're, they're thinking kingdom. And they're dreaming kingdom. And you and I know the apostolic gift, you know, that they, they, they can't help it, right? They're after it. They're going after it. Like, what's next? What's next? What's next? Um, and then they're using the relational equity to create space for these collaborative conversations. At the end of the day, and I call it the great collaboration. We got the great, we got the great commission to go. Yep. Of Matthew 28. We've got the great commandment, Mark 12, to love, but the great collaboration of John 17, right? Your, your unity will literally be a witness to the world. And so if we can pull those elements together, that's what New Thing's trying to do. That's beautiful. So you have a good lens then of, of what God is doing in, mm. in the world, on the globe. So I'd mm. love to know, like, what can American or North American disciples uh, learn from disciples overseas? Uh, what, 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 what's going right over there that sometimes we're off? Yeah. Um, I think, I think, uh, Chris had said, I think relationships, we are North Americans. We approach relationships different than let's say our brothers and sisters in Africa. Just a fact. It's not better, not worse. It's just as different. Um, we're a little bit more transactional. Uh, they're a little bit more relational, right? So a friend of mine from Africa was saying, if you're invited to a wedding, you, let's say you're going to have a wedding at noon, you're probably not really getting started till about three 30. <laughs> and, and I'm like, when nobody comes at noon, they're like, nah, it's just a suggested start time. <laughs> so what did the groom and what did the bride and groom do? Well, they just wait. <laughs> so because they're they're celebrating, they're having fun, they're being they're in relationship. I would say that's the first thing is learn that relationships take time and you need to give some space in your own life to that. And then secondly, is the global church does just the word obedience comes to mind. They just go out and do it. Uh, they just go out and evangelize. They just go out and do the stuff that we talk about. So what we'll find sometimes, and I'm I'm a North American too. Tell me more. Teach me more. Let me go through that cohort. Let me read that book. Let me, and I'm like, I could just go talk to my neighbor about Jesus. <laughs> you know, like I don't need you to tell me anymore. I should go do that. Right. So there is that obedience. So I would say relationship, and a little bit like no, I'm gonna. I'm, it's not. I'm gonna go talk to people about Jesus. Don't do it in a in a bad way like that, we use what we call the blessed practices. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and then share your story. And that's kind of that simple missional framework that we help people at New Thing Perp. And I go out and I figure, all right, how do I bless my neighbors? I'm going to pray for my neighbor right over there. I know that their kid's going through some stuff. I'm still serving them in a way. But it's this idea of being obedient as a disciple at the same time. Yeah, and you get to eat in the middle of that. Wow, that's the best part. <laughs> Perfect. I, I think that's really great. 
because yeah, I, yeah for me personally, I, I know that, you know, as Chris was talking earlier about task oriented, people oriented, and you're talking about relationships and transactions, it, it can easily for me, jump into transaction. It can jump Ooh. into task. Me too. Me too. Uh, and, and, and so that's, I always have to be cognizant of that and like think through that. Cause I can, you know, I'll have my list of to do's and I got to meet with X this person, this person, this person, and then I met with them. So check, I'm good there. I'll move on to this and I can compartmentalize. And, yeah. and, and, you know, you've really helped me in, in this see and remind myself that it, it's not all about transactions. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like our friendship is pretty transactional. So I, nothing else out of this, I, I thank you. And let so me know. Somehow I've, I've, I've done some couples therapy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Unbeknownst to you, <laughs> really clear some things up here. Uh, <laughs> I want to press into that second word though. Uh, obedience and yes. so why why is it hard for north american christians to be obedient uh, it's not a word it's not a word we like to say obey <laughs> so I, I think that at the end that's what it, it's all about though is will you stay committed and truly obey jesus so w- w- why do we struggle with that obedience yeah i'm i'm a student of this Zach. so i'm i'm, I'm i want to be very careful here and it's, it's part of my own journey and maybe this is a way to bring it full circle um you know, I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust that anybody would do the right for me when you're, you know, when you come from a broken home, mm-hmm. you got some of that going on, right? You got, you got some of that trauma. I didn't trust that people in business would do me right. I didn't trust that, you know, my wife would stick around when things got really bad. Cause I, it's just, it, you know, you trust yourself. So well, my, speaking, I'm sorry to interrupt, but speaking no. of transactional relationships, business, oh my gosh, it's, and, and it's yeah. all about the bottom dollar. And so you're coming out of this uh, very transactional uh, business world, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So for me, the journey that really opened with Jesus was trusting him. Mm. And that was deep work, dude. That was, that, that was not easy. It's not easy today. Right. Um, and so I think obedience is a result of increasing our capacity, our trust for God. I don't exactly know what that looks like. And some of the theologians that you have on in your audience could probably dive deeper. But for me, I can't be more obedient till I trust more. And the trusting God for immeasurably more is just a I haven't I'm not going to figure it out. Uh, in this life, I, it's going to be a journey, but I'm hoping that instead of maybe all of my, my hand closed to God, maybe I've got a few fingers open, you know, like I might have a couple of fingers still like, no, I want to hold on to that. But I, I can't talk about obedience and trust, you know, without talking about the same. So hope that helps. And I hope I, I, try I, to answer. I love that answer of starting with it. We have to trust before we obey. Mm. Yeah. And so how then do we grow in our trust? Yeah. <laughs> With God, right? Because yeah, faith, right. faith is ultimately uh, a gift mm. uh, given to us by the Holy Spirit, mm. and and so we can't receive unless He gives, and that's complicated and complex. And it comes from hearing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Like, I, I would love to hear from you, like how how your trust has grown in in your relationship with God. Or maybe how it's wavered during this podcast. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. It hasn't wavered. Okay, good. You know, I, th- I think from for most for most guys in, in North America and most home providers, and let's also put single moms who are running household, it's money, right? It's okay. I gotta I gotta provide. Right. Um, how do I trust God with my finances? But yeah. I'm gonna be that guy that says the more generous I was, the more 
with my finances, the more God was generous in return. Not directly financial, by the way. The more that I've been generous with my life, the more God has blessed me. I really do believe it is, um, it's, it's as we open our hands. And if it, it's not really like, hey, I'm going to give you everything, God. It's going to be, I'm going to give you this today, God. Yeah. Like, just that. And the Lord is so good. The Holy Spirit is so powerful. He meets us. I'm convinced of that. So it's a journey. It's a journey. But for me, and then it was people. It was because, you know, if you, you grow up in a traumatic background or you have some of the issues that I'm sure so many of us have had, you don't, it's not easy to trust people mm-hmm. that, that they're going to be there for you, that they're going to do right by you. And, and God and, and Jesus always will. He always will. He will. You can trust him. I know that theologically, but practically. So it's prayer, it's meditation, and then it's doing life with other Jesus followers, mm. not just Jesus followers, but other Jesus followers who say, hey, we're, we're not perfect. We're going to do this thing together. We're going we're gonna to follow Jesus together. That's built my trust capacity. Yeah, it's good. And so it's kind of interesting, though, when you were describing it at, at the beginning of the answer there, it was uh, you, you can't really trust without actually trying something you know you said you give give away so it is interesting that to trust you kind of have to give up (laughs) works is dead and and it's that leap of faith but it's not it's not like wait if i give a thousand dollars to my local church and the next time i need money should i expect one in the mailbox like those whole kind of illustrations aren't always really cool but it is like yeah if i had stayed in the business world i'd probably be a lot richer (laughs) <laughs> but, but, yeah, yeah. you know but god has blessed me mm. i mean i'm i get to speak to guys like you or like think about this like it's just amazing and, and that all comes from me letting go of some of the stuff that patrick was hanging on to and trusting more yeah. you know what's interesting though you say that and that's true but you also might have been continuing the generational curse of broken families you might also like would you have the relationship with your kids that you had Amen. and at so much more valuable right yeah, like yeah Chris, that's yeah. exactly right brother that's the deep stuff you're exactly right I, I uh, that's what i'm better. known as i'm a kind of a deep thinker <laughs> yeah, i love it i can see you're you guys together are just like an explosive yeah. combination yeah. good and bad i'm sure no. <laughs> exactly no you're right good no, and bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> figure that out right uh, that's been, this has been super great and i think yeah. i've seen that in my life too it's like you, you you give up a little bit and you trust and you see god come through and that allows you to go bigger next time and then you yep. see god come through and you know what? Sometimes it doesn't always work perfectly, but you learn something about God and you learn something about yourself and others and, and keep, keep taking those leaps of faith. Mm. All right, Patrick, I've got the question that we ask every guest, and then I'm going to turn it over to Chris for a little fun with you. Okay. Um, but we, we like asking all of our guests to challenge at the end of the day, this podcast is to challenge every disciple to be a greater disciple wherever they mm. are. And so if there's one thing that you'd practically challenge our audience, our listeners to be greater disciples that they can do this week, what would that be? Pray. Um, and then invite somebody to coffee and just hear their story. Cool. I mean, seriously, like here, here whether it's somebody in your church, whether it's a neighbor, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I was thinking about you and I, I wanted, you know, I prayed for you. Mm. Um, I'd love to hear your story. I don't know. There's some things I don't know about it. And it's just making maybe that one little space that we don't always make in our lives for that. Um, that would be it. And that goes for me too. Like, um, as I, you know, I want to preach, I want to do what I say, but I need to hear that too. So that's, that's where I would start. 
Yeah, that's awesome. All right, listeners. So if you're taking on Patrick's challenge this week, let's go ahead and hashtag Red Letter Disciple. Let us know as you're praying for someone. We'll, we'll pray for you. We, we want to come alongside of you and uh, hear so much of that uh, that bless acronym in what you just challenged our, our listeners. You, you, you listen, you eat, you share your story, you hear their yep. story. So yep. really good. Yeah. All right, Chris, what you got for Patrick? Uh, Mr. O'Connell, I don't know if you know this, but your first name is Patrick. I don't know if you're aware of that, um, but uh, our, we have um, a team of just very dedicated people who put together custom game shows, and so I'm going to, Cam, can I get you on the mic real quick, Cam? Are you okay? You're back there. Are you, Cam, sleep, are you sleeping? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. he's awake. Um, so I need you to put 60 seconds on the clock. We're going to play Can You Name the fa- Famous Patrick, okay? okay. Uh, and we're going to see how many Patricks you can name. Okay. In- seconds all right uh let me know uh cam when we've got it ready to go we are ready all right on your marks get set go uh patrick uh, received a golden globe nomination for his appearance in dirty dancing goes crazy patrick all right this patrick is the quarterback for the kansas city chiefs patrick mahomes i i hope you got that one yeah (laughs) this patrick was a jamaican american retired hall of fame basketball player he played at georgetown yes that is correct i'll get something if i win oh this patrick as uh, is on college game day was a famous punter is a commentator for WWE, has a famous podcast, um, played for the Indianapolis Colts. You can pass if you want. He's also a stand-up. Okay. Patrick McAfee. Come on. Yeah. All right. Um, this, Patrick, was a football player who left sports career and enlisted in the United States Army. And he uh, was Tillman. Pat Tillman. Yes. Patrick Tillman. <laughs> this, Patrick, coached the Los Angeles Lakers in Miami Heat. Pat, um, you missed it. You were one away from Riley. the brand new Corvette. I am Pat so Riley. sorry. You didn't ask me about St. Patrick. What? What, what? what about St. Patrick? Uh, nobody has heard of him. <laughs> and and the other one, uh, he was also famously uh, known as the idiot kicker from Peyton Manning. The one that you passed on was Pat McAfee. Oh, <laughs> where Aaron Rodgers breaks all of his news every year yeah. because Aaron Rodgers has all these breaking news to I, listen, <laughs> every I, year. I didn't want to mention this. Um, we do have a sponsor this year, uh, Chevrolet. You were one question away from the uh, brand new Corvette. I am so can sorry. Can, maybe, can I come back and try again? No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. And it was really close. Yeah. Uh, you will send you a red letter uh, koozie or something. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Hey, Patrick, if people want to connect more with you and all the things you're doing at New Thing, where can they? Where can they find you these days? Uh, www.newthing.org. That's pretty easy. Newthing.org. How'd you get that website? Do you have to pay somebody off? That was really good. Yeah, (laughs) that's good. All right, Patrick. Hey, man, thanks so much for being a part of the show. God bless you and uh, cheering for what you're doing. Awesome, brothers. Thanks for having me. I can't thank Patrick enough for being on today's show. He was incredible. Uh, Just an awesome conversationalist. And we learned some really great things about what it looks like to be a disciple today in America. Hey, if you want to connect with Patrick and what he's doing at New Thing, 
check out our show notes at redletterpodcast.com. There you can find all the links that you'll need. Also there, you'll find the link for that assessment I was talking to you about, that Red Letter Challenge Assessment. It'll take you seven to 10 minutes, but it'll rank you according to the five targets of Jesus uh, and really challenge you to take next steps in your faith, which is what it's all about. So next week, we have a really... They're all awesome, but a really awesome guest next week. His name is Mark DeMoz. He's pastor, author, and director of Mosaics Conferences. Mark is, I really believe, leading the way in our nation with helping individuals and churches live in authentic, multi-ethnic relationships. So we talk about what needs disruption in our nation today when it comes to discipleship, how to help people discover their strengths, and even, well, we go on a 1v1 battle on Arkansas. You see, he's a pastor there. And I, did you know I was born there? So we're going to see who knows more Arkansas. We're going to have some fun with Mark next week. We always have fun. So don't miss it. And the way you don't miss it, by the way, is simple. It's just pressing subscribe or follow on like whatever platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or maybe, maybe you're watching every week on YouTube. It literally takes maybe one second to do that. And that is really good because then all the episodes are going to pop up on your feed magically and amazingly through the power of technology. It's incredible. Don't miss it. It's next week. God bless you. Have a great week. And we'll see you back next week for The Red Letter Disciple. A Huda Media Production.